So welcome to the Family Law Now podcast. I'm Russell Alexander. Today's topic is Christmas access during COVID-19. I would like to introduce our guests, briefly talk about who they are, what they do, and where they're located. So Francesca King, can you give us a start? Yes. Um, I'm a family lawyer and mediator from Milan, uh, Italy. I'm a collaborative professional. Uh, past president of the International Academy of uh, Collaborative Practice. Um, so based in Italy, uh, but in this global area, we are probably living very similar experiences as we noticed last time. Welcome. And it's always interesting to see what's happening in Italy and Europe. You guys, unfortunately, are four to six weeks ahead of us. So it's <laughs> Canadians. Uh, a unique perspective in terms of what we can expect coming down the pike. Uh, our next guest is Allison Gardner. Good morning. Hi, I'm a clinical social worker uh, specializing in working with separated and divorced families as well as high conflict uh, area. I am situated in York region, but currently seeing everything's online. I am basically working with families from all over the place. Welcome, thank you, Allison. Jonathan Painter, can you go next? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm also a social worker and um, I work in the Durham, Peterborough, Lindsay, Coburg kind of areas. And I also work uh, a lot with um, families who are going through separation and divorce um, and also do quite a bit of uh, psychotherapy. And um, um, I just got some good news that I'm also now on the board of the Ontario Association of Family Mediators. So that's really Congratulations. Fantastic. So I think for our listeners and our viewers, it would be helpful to do a short recap. And I think it'd also be helpful if you listen to our podcast number 14, which we did in December 2019. I did that with Nafisa Nazarelli and Adam Boyer. And in that podcast, this is pre-pandemic times, we talked about the difficulty with Christmas access and how parents should try to cope through the various issues that the lawyers see. The second podcast and video I'd recommend that our viewers listen to and watch is episode 24. That's the preamble to this episode. So in that episode, we talk about child access during self-isolation lockdowns and quarantines. And our guests today, uh, Francesca Allison and Jonathan, were uh, participated in that podcast. And it was uh, one of our top listened to podcasts and watched videos. It was done in March, approximately, of 2020. So Francesca was a few months ahead of us, and we were just going into lockdown here in Ontario. In that particular podcast, I also talked about the case law that we were seeing. So if you want to get some background information or do a deeper dive into Christmas access during COVID-19, those two podcasts would be uh, good bookends to understand some of the things we're talking about today. It's December 2020, just to put this recording into perspective. Um, Christmas traditions, uh, lots of professionals talk about maintaining your routine during the pandemic, whether it's exercise, diet, uh, daily routines. Obviously, Christmas is very important to a lot of families and the routines and traditions carry a lot of meaning. Uh, I think we're going to be seeing that conflict with some of the 
rules and requirements of living through a pandemic where routines may not be the same. And you're gonna be developing new routines. And that's a little bit about what we're gonna talk about today. But perhaps a short recap of episode 24. Allison, could you maybe just give us a brief uh, overview? We talked about this in more detail uh, previously about how to talk to your children uh, about COVID-19. So it's really just um, about finding a way to have an honest conversation with your children without overloading them with scary information and, and offering them comfort at the same time. So often I suggest, you know, parents can start off with opening a conversation, you know, about how much do they already know? Because we've been living this for a while when a lot of children, in particular teenagers, already are somewhat knowledgeable about what's, what COVID is and the pandemic and what that brings. Um, once you've sort of gone into sort of the factual things, another area to explore would be their feelings, just, you know, letting them know that lots of other people perhaps are having these feelings at this current time. Um, it's also important, I would say, just to check in regularly, um, particularly with teens, because often they're getting their information from their peers, as well as a lot of social media. And lastly, um, what I say to parents is, you know, trust your instincts, you know your children best. So, you know, if you have that little voice in your head sort of giving you a little bit of an alarm or a little tweak or a feeling in your tummy or a sensation, however you may feel it, pay attention to it and uh, don't dismiss it. Great, great tips. Jonathan, uh, tips for co-parenting during separation for separated parents during um, the pandemic? We talked about that briefly. Can you just sort of give us some highlights? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that... Um, one of the things that we've seen over the past few months is the courts have really emphasized the need for parents to work this stuff out themselves rather than run to court uh, for every small problem. And so communication is the key. Um, if you're gonna need changes made to the schedule, say that uh, you're, you're on quarantine or you have a shift job that's changing, make sure that you give the other parent a lot of notice. Uh, also, if, if you're um, moving or any changes are needed to the children's school schedules, uh, that has to be communicated well in advance. And um, make sure that you and uh, anyone in your household are following all the COVID protocols to keep your family safe. Um, particularly if you're a first responder or a nurse or personal support worker or someone who comes into regular contact with infected people, you really need to make sure that A, you're following the safety protocols and B, communicating those to the other parents so that they uh, are feeling uh, aware and safe uh, with uh, what measures you're taking to protect the family from, from that uh, you know, risk of, of um, getting COVID. And, um, the other thing you have to keep in mind too is um, you have to balance the risk of COVID versus the risk of preventing a child from seeing their parent. And uh, almost every time it's, it's worse for a parent uh, or for a child to be isolated from a parent than to get COVID. Um, now, obviously there are circumstances where a temporary break in um, contact is needed, say if a parent tests positive or is waiting for a COVID test or has been around a lot of people with COVID and they need to go into a two week quarantine, that's a different story, but um, you gotta make sure that, that whatever routine existed before COVID is, try, is, is maintained as much as possible 
after right. COVID as well. Right. And, and a lot of parents live separate and apart in the same home until they get the details of their separation work day. So Allison, what advice do you have uh, for parents who are living that experience? So similar to what John's saying, communication is really key, um, particularly um, when tensions are high. It's really important to try to be cordial with one another, particularly in the presence of the children. And, you know, often I suggest to parents if it is a very emotionally charged topic or something that triggers you, perhaps um, using a communication app or texting one another or emailing is a better format than um, having a conversation. That also can allow you sometimes to take 24 hours before you respond to the other um, co-parent, unless it's something that, of course, is urgent. Um, and also, you can sometimes take um, carve out some personal space for yourself, separate from the other um, parent, and that allows the one other parent to have time with the children or child, while you yourself may be able to look after, you know, some of your own needs um, and and have that time for yourself. You can even do that around daily routines, such as meals or bedtime. You can, you know. One parent may take that on certain days and the other parent could take it on other days. The other thing I also sort of remind parents of when they are in the home um, living separated, which can be a really difficult time, especially with COVID, because it's not always so easy to have somewhere else to go if that's what you need, is to remember the principle of charity. So in other words, um, you know, go in with goodwill and try to interpret what the other parent's saying in a positive way, their comments, their statements in a rational way as possible. And for yourself as well to really avoid making negative or derogatory comments um, in the presence particularly of the children and towards the other parent. That's a great tip. It's so easy to assume the worst in others and their intentions. Um, it's a great tip if you just assume they're doing the best in their situation, it certainly makes you more patient, more practical. Uh, Francesca, in terms of what do we do if a child becomes sick with a virus? How, do, how would an access schedule look like in those circumstances? One of the first things that uh, has to be done is to decide where is the child going to stay during the quarantine. At least in Italy, we've had regulations to avoid child moving, even if they're not having symptoms. So um, the, the idea is not to be traveling from one house to the other if you have been tested positive. So the first question would be to, to answer would be where in which household will the child stay during this quarantine. Um, this could, should probably be made having in mind uh, which of the parents uh, can be exposed to that risk. Um, you know, thinking about his, his job, his work, his responsibility, which of the parent has more time to actually uh, take care of the child. Um, another easy, easy answer could be the child stays where it was when, where he was when, when the, the, the symptoms or the test was actually revealed. Uh, but access is a problem in, in these cases. And um, I think the best tip is to have parent encourage parents having uh, different ways of uh, communication, uh, encouraging Skype, encouraging moments where the parent who is not living with a child can actually have uh, an access and a chat and talk, even if there is not a uh, an in presence uh, connection. It's um, 
hard to believe it's been eight months since we did our last podcast on um, access during a pandemic. It's December 2020 right now. Uh, how are things, what's the current situation in Italy? Uh, you were in a bit of a crisis last time we talked and uh, we've now lived through several months of this here in Ontario, Canada, but what's happening in Italy and, and what's, uh, how are things uh, developing? So we've had quite a, a calm summer, so numbers were very low and I think we all started to feel optimistic and a bit daring probably. Um, weather was very nice and so people felt encouraged to have not maybe a, very, a normal, normal summer, but quite. And that turned out uh, in numbers growing back up as soon as autumn came back. School started in September, and um, that was probably another factor, not just for the school where all the precautions and regulations were in place quite strictly, but during the movement from the house to the um, to the uh, to the school or I'm assuming the kids went back to school in the late. Yep. Okay. Kids went back to school in September, uh, end of October. Uh, only the primary school was kept open because the numbers were raising so much. And um, so then we've, uh, at the moment, we, we, we've been hit by what we call a second wave. Um, we've, we've been put in lockdown again. Italy was divided in different regions. Red, sort of severe lockdown. Orange, medium, yellow, <laughs> a bit more light. No green region at all. But... Um, so it, depending on where you were, we experienced different uh, kinds of restriction. I, of course, ended up in a red region, became orange yesterday. Uh, so that meant shops are closed. People are encouraged to work from home, no school, um, restaurants, bars, theaters, gyms, all that kind of stuff uh, closed. And curfew, you can't go out in the night. So from, I think, 10, I can't remember if it's 10 or 11, uh, you're supposed to stay really at home. Right. Um, so that's a bit of the situation right now. We don't know what's going to happen for the holidays. There's a lot of discussion if we can have some kind of uh, release uh, around Christmas. And at the same time, there's a lot of uh, concern that that kind of opening could actually get things worse instead of getting them better. I remember you telling us in March, um, how things became the new normal and putting on a mask and going to get your groceries uh, was starting to feel normal to you. And mm -hmm. we've now been wearing masks for several months and uh, I'll sometimes still yeah. forget my mask in my car and I have to go back <laughs> and get it. But it really is uh, a different world these days. So let's talk about what our clients are experiencing here in Ontario. Uh, do you wanna start first, Allison? Sure. So, Francesca, it sounds like you're describing what's what's been going on here, <laughs> except we don't have a curfew in the evenings. Um, I sort of describe it what I call it as COVID. Is that because Canadians are so boring? We just go for sidewalks up at seven o'clock or what? <laughs> Most people are like, whoa, it's only four o'clock and it's dark in here. Yeah, as long as there's no curfew on Netflix, I think we'll be okay. But. Exactly. Yeah. So I sort of put it under the title of COVID fatigue as to how I feel people are, are, are feeling and what they're sort of sharing. 
Um, and um, we also, in certain regions in downtown Toronto and some of the outer regions, which is where I am, there's been further restrictions recently put on. And that can be really difficult because this is a time, particularly with the holidays coming up, that people really want to socialize and attend family gatherings and be with friends and parties. And it's, it's, it's really difficult. Um, uh, what I will say from the family's perspective that I work with my clients, I think they have been doing a wonderful job at navigating their parenting plans um, and making adjustments as the restrictions have gotten a little higher, a little lower. Similar to you, Francesca, you know, they had to decide what to do with their children in the fall, whether the children would go to school in person, whether they would do it online. We've had to navigate Thanksgiving week, uh, the weekend, the long holiday recently. And now they're beginning to talk about Christmas and what that's going to look like and, and how they're going to adapt their current parenting plan or some of the traditions to make sure, you know, that people are safe and, um, and happy um, and can try to make the best of the holiday season. Yeah, I would echo that. I see um, the stress levels of some of my team members starting to go up. Traditionally, it always goes up at Christmas sometimes a very difficult time of year for a lot of families for various reasons. Um, and clients, you know, I see a lot of pressure for clients to get things done, get this wrapped up, you know, they want to get their family law matter behind them before the Christmas uh, season enters, which is normal. And then for as professionals, you know, collaborative professionals and and lawyers and other associations, this is sort of the uh, time of year we would have our Christmas gatherings and holiday parties. So all that's being put on hold and we're brainstorming ways to do it by Zoom or, or other means. And everybody has Zoom burnout, right? Nobody wants to spend an hour doing a Christmas party online. So it, it, certainly you can start to see more cracks forming as we get closer to the break. Uh, but Jonathan, what's your experience been? Yeah, um, I have seen um, a lot of the same things that uh, Francesca and Alison have mentioned. A lot of, um, I think, you know, in, in Canada, we became a little bit smug about our low numbers and um, kind of like what happened in Italy, like Italy at one point was a, a model for how to handle the um, coronavirus after they had that first spike. But now uh, the cases have gone up again. And at some point, Canada was also a model of how to deal with it. And some of the smaller provinces like Manitoba and Nova Scotia were doing extraordinarily well with uh, their numbers, but now everything spiked. And so- The bubble think, burst, so to speak, right? Yeah, well, I think people got complacent and felt like, well, it's not really our problem because our numbers are so low and not realizing that that kind of thinking leads to spreading the virus more. Um, it's also important to note that there has been a dramatic increase in domestic violence in Ontario. Um, some estimates have it anywhere between 20 and 30% more than pre-COVID uh, situations. Um, there's been a dramatic decrease in people's mental health and overall well-being. Um, so again, the estimates are between about 15 and 24% of uh, people reporting that their mental health is worse now than it was before. Um, there's also the issue of the pandemic, they call it the pandemic echo, which are all the effects of the pandemic that aren't specific to getting the actual virus. So for example, people are 
um, not ha having as easy access to things like physiotherapy, um, counseling, um, you know, other kinds of therapies that, that help with overall well-being and people are delaying that because of the, the pandemic and so their overall health is, is deteriorating, uh, including their mental health. So um, I know that, um, you know, this has caused a ripple effect among families. Um, a lot of people are stuck home with a spouse that they were planning on separating from at some point, maybe when the kids are in high school or university, but now, you know, they, they can't manage it anymore because they're spending 24 seven with their spouse. Um, and so I think there's also been a, a dramatic increase in the number of people seeking separation. So, um, you know, it's really important for people to remember that all the services are still open. They're still available to people. People are, are not accessing them as much as they, they used to. Uh, but are needing them more than they used to. So um, it's really important to note that all the women's shelters, women's legal support uh, um, from places like Luke's Place, all the counseling agencies uh, are still open. They're just doing things virtually now. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm certainly not an expert, but we're probably a year away from getting out of the woods on this. We hear lots of talk about vaccines coming out you know, Canada had pre-bought a bunch of vaccines, but now it looks like we're going to be at the back of the line in terms of distribution. Um, so I'm a little bit concerned that people might uh, think that it's over or feel that January or February is going to come along and everything's going to be back to normal. Even if we do get a vaccine, it's going to be several months to distribute. Um, so I, I'm, I'm concerned in terms of the effect on our clients that's going to have, you know, managing that expectations and maintaining your social distancing and your social bubbles and following the health protocols that the government's put out. The well, other... What are you seeing with your clients, Russ? Well, just there's the general malaise, right? People, um, we hear it on the news and they think, okay, maybe we're out of the woods, but I don't think we are, you know we're still in trial periods for some of these vaccines. The other thing we're seeing, um, you know, it seems this time of year, there's always a certain level of seasonal affect disorder and a lot of people, snowboards and, and people are used to going down to Florida or Arizona or southern parts of the US uh, for three, four months during the winter um, are trying to manage dealing with the cold and not getting their vitamin D. Um, a client, uh, her mother lives in a trailer and it's a three season trailer and she lives there because she goes to Arizona for four months a year. And now she's trying to secure housing here in Ontario, uh, which is very expensive right now. Um, so these are added stresses that, you know, sort of amplify everything else that people are worried about. So we're seeing a lot of that in our clients. The, um, did you guys want to add to that before we move into some of the analysis I'm going to do on the case law? No, I think uh, that, that's a good uh, place to start the case law. So in terms of the case law, again, look, go back to our previous podcasts. I'm not going to talk about the current status of the case law. We did that in detail last time. I would say that courts in Ontario are now open. 
and operating with limited resources. If you do have a court hearing in Ontario, it will most likely 99% be uh, by some form of electronic hearing, whether it's telephone conference, a Zoom call, a Skype call. I've never been back to court physically. Uh, I know we have a fairly significant murder trial outside of Toronto where an individual ran his van down the sidewalk on Young Street that's being conducted completely by Zoom. So if you are going to go to court to deal with Christmas access issues, uh, I think given that we're into December, it's going to have to be an emergency issue. And if you do have a hearing, it's likely going to be a virtual hearing by Zoom or phone call. You may not even get a chance to make submissions. The judge might deal with the issue of Christmas access based on the written material only. Most judges will defer to the status quo, which means if you have an existing court order or an existing separation agreement, that's going to continue, especially in fact that there's limited resources available for the court to adjudicate these matters. So whatever the status quo is with respect to Christmas holidays and traditions and where little Johnny's going to wake up Christmas morning, assume that that's going to roll over and continue. The court may adjust the schedule later next year and for Christmas 2021, uh, but that would be my best guess. I do think the court will step in if there's a public health concern or a family health concern that poses a risk to the child. So what I would refer our listeners to and our viewers is in July and August of 2020 on our blog, familyllb.com, we wrote about a case where uh, the mom was worried about COVID-19 and the court blocked the father's um, cottage week with his child. <laughs> in that particular case, I'll just read the quote uh, that I, I think succinctly summarizes the court's approach. The court focused solely on whether it was in the child's best interest to participate in light of the current provincial health and safety safeguards. It agreed with the mother's instant that the father's current plan to add his extended family did not strictly conform to provincial social circle directives around bubbles. And I did a little bit of research on this case to see if it was overturned or treated differently. I didn't find any cases in Ontario that said this approach was incorrect. So in my estimation, if there's a dispute about Christmas access involving health and safety guidelines, or oftentimes families will have extended families come to visit or they'll go visit extended families and have large gatherings. That may trigger a health concern. Uh, if your social bubble is getting too big, it's likely would lead to an argument by the other parent that you're putting the child at risk uh, by exposing the child to that many people. Currently with certain communities in lockdown, if you're going into one of these red zones, so to speak, and planning an event with extended family, uh, I think that might be considered an unacceptable risk to the child and the court would step in and make orders. So that's sort of how I view the current status of the law in Ontario. It's early December coming up, sorry, we're end of November, um, last day of November. So I don't anticipate um, 
I haven't seen any cases yet, but as family plans are discussed with other parents, these concerns may likely come to the forefront. So let's talk about maybe tips, tricks, and best practices for families to deal with some of these issues. So what, we, what we're foreseeing is a clash between routines and tradition uh, clashing with public health and safety guidelines in terms of social distancing and social bubbles. Um, so you wanna take a crack at this first, Francesca? Yes. Um, before I jump into it, it's interesting because even if we have different jurisdictions and legal systems, I could echo most of the things you were saying and the analysis you were making in, with regard to our courts in Italy. I think the, the picture is very much the same. And um, I think this sort of helps us model what tips and, and tricks and best practices should be. So to, to work with this current situation, and uh, remember that courts are not going to help you unless there is uh, the, the child safety or health at stake. And so the, the best tip we can give to our clients or to people that are facing these crises is really to, um, to help them remember that they're part of the same bubble, they're part of the same family, even if they are already separated. And um, so they have to find a way to agree in this moment. There's, there's just not nobody that can actually uh, do better than them. And so uh, find a way to compromise and find a good agreement between tradition and uh, what you can actually do and maybe establish new traditions, new ways to celebrate the holidays or Christmas or whatever holiday you're celebrating in this period of the year um, and, and work on that. I think uh, what I can see is that the first crisis we had in the spring um, helped a lot of parents to find a new way to, to cooperate and collaborate. And that has gave, give them a sort of confidence that they can do this better and they can do this again this time. At the same time, those parents that are in conflict and sometimes are looking for an excuse sort of to put some energy in that conflict have this very, can find this crisis very handy. Um, so it's, in my experience, what I can see is those that, those parents that are trying to cooperate, uh, find some energies to do that in this period. Those who have other conflicts going on or other reasons to be um, sort of uh, not at ease with one another uh, can find ways in this crisis to actually put their cooperation, their relation at stake. So. The best tip is look at the interest of the children and find a way to make these holidays a good moment for them because uh, usually they are more important than for them than for the adults. Adults sometimes find these holidays quite tricky. So at right. least keep, let's keep some <laughs> some happiness for the kids. That's my, yeah. my tip always. You see these families, you know, a one-year-old baby and they're all worried about, you know, where's the 25th going to be spent? You know, the yeah. child has no idea going on, but parents are really excited about it. Allison, um, tips, tricks, and best practices? Yeah, I mean, my tip is um, what I would suggest is for parents to, to start now. Um, so, so try to plan as, as early as possible. It's not really a holiday to sort of address last minute. 
Um, there's a lot to navigate and the earlier you can begin, um, the better you're able to sort of address any sort of obstacles that might arise or, or find the areas that you're able to agree on and move forward with. Um, you know, I know the courts are suggesting you attempt to stick to your parenting plan um, and, you know, adjust as needed around social bubbles, around health risks. Um, but if you cannot agree, there are people that can assist you. There are mediators, there are parenting coordinators, there's coaches. There are resources that you can reach out to um, if you do get stuck. Um, and you might need a little bit of a helping hand um, at this particular time because emotions can run very high um, when discussing this particular holiday. It's very important to many people um, and it's probably one of the toughest ones I find in my practice for people to, uh, to, to navigate. Um, and you always can consult uh, also a medical expert as well um, if you have concern or you're stuck in areas as far as the safety and health as well. So that would sort of be my tip plan early. The other thing I always say to people is notice and comment on any kindness or cooperation you might see happening. Um, any small thing, uh, it's a tough situation, um, but there are always people there helping and ready to help. Those are great tips. And if there is a concern um, and you think a court may need to provide assistance, and I, I think keeping it out of court is a fantastic idea and courts are encouraging parents to work this out on your own. The Christmas is a very busy time of year for lawyers. So don't expect to go to a lawyer's office or have a virtual meeting on December 23rd, <laughs> thinking you're gonna get an order in place for December 25th. If you think a court needs to step in, do it early. Everybody is, the lawyer needs to prepare your documents. There is, they'll be, need to serve them on your spouse. The spouse is gonna be given a chance to respond. All this takes time. So certainly don't wait till the last minute. Most people try to work it out and then the wheels fall off and end up in the lawyer's office at the last minute. And there's nothing they can do. The other, the other tip I would be mindful just picking up on yours, Allison, is uh, there's a cost associated with having a lawyer deal with these issues. Uh, your family is gonna spend several thousand dollars arguing over Christmas. That's money that could be spent on Christmas presents. It could be spent on saving for a holiday when the pandemic's over. Uh, it could be put into an education fund. Certainly try to be practical and reasonable before you go to that expense. Uh, otherwise, the lawyer, your lawyer and even the court may wonder if you're there for some other improper purpose. Uh, it's not the court's function to exact retribution on your spouse. Um, but let's move to you, Jonathan, on that happy note. Uh, tips, tricks, and best practices. Uh, what Ju uh, Justice uh, Pazarats had to say. I think you just froze up for a second there, Jonathan. Um, any comments on the costs, Allison, in terms of? Yeah, I, 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 I echo what you say. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of money spent that could be um, spent on your children um, or future um, endeavors with your family. In his uh, early uh, decision, children. Sorry, uh, Jonathan, you just froze up when you started talking about Justice uh, Pazara. 
just just one second. I'm going to switch my uh, connection. All right. To, uh, We're just going to discuss uh, some of the costs. Uh, Francesca, is it expensive to go to court in Italy? It is expensive, and uh, and what we've experienced is a big delay in court uh, capacity to actually deliver decisions, and so. Our courts were shut with no activity in March and April. And so our family court has this sort of um, delay on its shoulder, which means even if I should file something now for Christmas, I, I wouldn't be sure I would have a decision in time unless, it's, um, unless the allegation is really some kind of a violence or abuse. So something really serious to deal with, with uh, the, the health of the child really at serious stake. Otherwise, it would be really pointless, I, yeah. would, I would say. On that note, even in non-pandemic times, family court is very busy during Christmas. Mm -hmm. uh, but with the limited resources, unless you can, and, and just to pick up on Allison's comment about seeing a doctor and maybe getting some medical advice, unless you have some medical advice to back up that there's a risk or a serious uh, allegation that you can back up factually that they're at risk to the child, I don't think the court will have the time or the resources to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, you're back, Jonathan. Uh, best tips, tricks, and practices? So, uh, yeah, I was saying that I liked uh, Justice uh, Pazarat's comments where he said, uh, vulnerable children need reassurance that everything's going to be okay, and it's up to the adults to provide that reassurance. Mm -hmm and that right now families need more cooperation and less litigation. And I think that uh, that um, judgment was made in uh, late March, but it's still very relevant today uh, coming up to Christmas. Um, uh, I, I really like what um, Allison said earlier about the principle of charity. Um, always assume the best about the other person when you're um, thinking about um, uh, Christmas schedules and, and what what uh, what sort of schedule you'd like to see happen. Um, also remember that um, there is a, a absolute and real risk to uh, contracting COVID. However, there's also a massive risk if you withhold um, your children from seeing their other parent. And um, you know, kids grow and develop through socialization especially when they're young, they need their parents and not having access to a parent can be extremely harmful in a long term, uh, um, from a long term perspective, it can it can result in mental health and physical health issues later on in life. Um, so if you're making a decision to withhold parent, uh, parenting time um, for your children um, to see their other parent, then you have to be absolutely sure that um, the risk outweighs uh, the benefit because there's a massive risk to doing that. Um, one thing that I have just been emailed this morning, which I found was really, really helpful, is um, Ryerson University in Toronto has just come out with a COVID risk assessment where you can type in um, uh, who you're seeing, what your uh, physical qualities are, like how old you are, what kind of health issues you might have, and it spits out a, a, a number and tells you exactly how um, much you're at risk if you follow through with these plans. So say you're planning on going to the cottage for Christmas and meeting up with 
people from various ages in various areas of Canada, it will tell you exactly what your risk is doing that. So I would highly encourage people to look uh, at that and um, we, maybe we can uh, link to it in the, the uh, podcast notes um, and uh, really make sure that if you are limiting uh, contact with the other parent, um, that you're also encouraging online communication. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, it may not be possible to physically see the other parent, but maybe virtually they can have Zoom meetings or they can play online games together or they can have frequent phone calls to maintain that, that vital connection with the other parent. Yeah, we're certainly going to include that in the show notes, Jonathan. Thank you so much. It's a great tool. Just, I thought I found your comments about balancing really insightful. And that's sort of what the court had to do when we returned children to school in September. Mm -hmm. Lots of parents didn't like that idea. They wanted to homeschool. And it resulted in lots of litigation. And the analysis really turned on balancing the social importance of having these children socialize and interact with the other children in the community and, and physically be active versus um, protecting the child's health. And that's a, that's a great point, uh, Russ. Like we, we think that we send our kids to school to learn math and English and, or Italian, whatever, wherever they are. Uh, but the reality is 90% of what they um, learn is social skills. Right. And ki little kids especially learn through social interaction. They can't learn like a, a, a kindergarten age kid can't learn from online schooling in the way that a teenager can. And so you're absolutely right. That's why we made the difficult decision to send kids to school despite the risks, because the risk of not sending them to school was, was deemed to be quite a bit higher. Right. And a lot of those cases turned on whether there was, you know, evidence uh, with, some, with some validity that there was a risk that was unacceptable, a health risk to either the child or the immediate family. And I think though that analysis will be helpful for parents and their lawyers in determining uh, what the best Christmas plan is going to be. So that, that was a great point, Jonathan. So what should parents look at for? Allison, you want to take a crack at this one? Sure. So, I mean, typically when I speak to parents and, you know, they have concerns about how this is impacting their children, what's happening, I suggest they look for changing behavior. Right. So that really gives you a, um, you know, a, a clue or an indication that something is different here, right? So you can look for signs of depression, anxiety, and often those come in behaviors such as there could be a change in sleeping, a change in eating, perhaps some repetitive behaviors, excessive worry, agitation. Um, and if you observe these behaviors and, and, and you are concerned, reach out to the professionals, check in, you know, don't dismiss it. Um, again, as I said earlier, you know your child best, you are the expert on your child. Um, and if you are concerned to have these worries then absolutely check in. Um, the other thing I always suggest is, um, you know, and, and, what you're looking out for, I guess, is um, also giving them, as we say with Jonathan saying, some reassurance and some comfort. Right. So, you know, when discussing modifications around um, changes to schedules, if it's going to be around the Christmas access, 
um, you know, do it with some comfort um, and some reassurance because they also feed off of regards to your emotions and, and how you're adapting and feeling about the situation. Um, I also sort of suggest regardless of what schedule you may land on, prioritize coping and calming skills um, for your children and for your whole family. You could also offer lots of opportunities for them to express their feelings in different ways. Some, some children like to do it through music, through dance, whatever it is, just so they're being able to express it. Because it's tough for kids too, regardless of what schedule you hand on, they have to manage it and navigate it as well. Um, and lastly, I always say, be aware of your own feelings. Um, it's normal to sometimes feel helpless yourself um, in regards to what's happening now. Um, so make sure you're checking in on yourself as well. Just um, on that issue, Allison, where can parents learn more about coping and calming skills? Um, there's, well, there's lots of stuff on guided meditation. Um, there's free apps such as Calm, Headspace, um, which actually lots of children you can utilize with them as well. Um, you also can access um, mental health agencies. There's lots of information online through CAMH. There's also um, just CAMH general. Is the Canadian Mental Health Association. Association, exactly. Thank you, Russell. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's actually the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but they have lots of information and resources on there, um, not just for adults, for children as well. Um, so you can tap into to those um, as well as various apps um, as to if you are interested in sort of some sort of meditation, um, mindfulness strategies. Great tips. Thank you, Allison. Another great uh, resource is called Anxiety Canada. And okay. um, they have a whole section of COVID-related um, uh, resources because they obviously recognize that, that COVID has created a lot of anxiety with people. And they have a free um, app that you can download called MindShift. And it uh, has the calming stuff. It also has a cognitive behavioral therapy approach to helping uh, kids and, and parents deal with anxieties and, and stressors. Um, so I, I recommend that to all my families and, and they're, they're uh, specific to kids as well. So they've got a lot of really great resources for kids there. Great tips. Let's add that to the show notes for uh, our podcast today. Thank you, Jonathan. Jonathan, what should parents be looking at for this holiday season? Um, I think that, um, again, it, it's the, the balance of uh, making sure that we're protected from COVID, but also making sure that the children connect with uh, other family members. So maybe they can't physically see their grandparents or their aunts and uncles or their cousins, but, uh, you know, maybe they can have an outdoor, uh, you know, go for a hike or, or have an outdoor picnic, you know, on a day that the weather's not too bad. Um, or connect with them virtually. I think it's really important that uh, little children in particular don't feel isolated from family and friends. And so encouraging them to connect in any way that they can is, is really important. Um, and I think Allison had a great list of things to look out for um, in terms of warning signs that, that your child's having difficulty coping with the, the sleep and the eating patterns changing or if they're feeling down or they're crying a lot, those kinds of things. Um, and, you know, we have to focus on still giving the children a positive experience despite COVID. 
So making sure that uh, you're sitting down watching Christmas videos or movies with them, uh, making sure that uh, they're helping decorate the tree if that's if that's what what uh, your family does, trying to maintain the family traditions um, uh, that that existed before COVID, um, while also protecting against COVID. One of the things we're going to do in our families is I have a Norwegian background in my family and we always have a marzipan pig at Christmas. Uh, and so we're gonna start that tradition with my kids this year because uh, it's a lot of fun and uh, marzipan is delicious. So um, we're, we're, that's, this is the first year we're gonna do it in my family because we can't see our other family right now. Take some pictures, I'd like to see that. Yeah. Uh, Francesca, what should uh, parents be looking out for? This um, well, as a from a lawyer's point of view, I think what I would be aware is that as strict and clear the rule might be, uh, there is always space for interpretation. And uh, I certainly know that in Italy, we're always looking for those spaces. Um, so I think really the best thing is um, for the parents to try to talk before of how they're going to interpret this, what kind of extended family they're going to think of and how are they going to actually plan their periods with the children so that this is clear to both of the parents and we avoid the risk of having parents asking the children for information and putting them in the middle of the struggle of maybe understanding that there's something not really compliant with what the rules are that's happening and being afraid of telling the other parents. I've seen that happening uh, in, in springtime and I think this could be a risk. And so I would really encourage parents to do this before and share what they think is gonna be a good practice so that they, if they find out that they have different ways of looking at how you can deal with Christmas and the holidays, they can find and seek some help together to actually find a, a common ground on this without without involving the children and without um, having to actually deal with it during the holidays that haven't solved the problem before. Yeah, I think that's key. That's a great tip, Francesca. This concept of notice, um, the more notice you can get or give, uh, mm. it's really gonna help stabilize things and keep calm waters, so to speak. If you do have uh, a new agreement with your spouse, reduce it to writing. It could be something simple as an email, <clears throat> excuse me, confirming uh, this is our conversation on such and such a date and these are the new arrangements we've agreed to. Uh, and ask the other parent to confirm that's the discussion. This will be important later on if there's a dispute in court, probably one of the first things the judge will ask is, what notice did you give? Uh, did you have an agreement? Can you show me what the agreement was? Now, even an email is something, right? It's not a formal order or agreement drafted by a lawyer, but if you had an email confirming this was the new arrangements, uh, common sense would dictate that the courts will expect the parents to abide by that if it's reasonable. So I think, and, and that's gonna end up saving a lot of stress later on if you know what the ground rules are. You have some notice. A, a lot of the conflict I deal with is when people do self-help or act unilaterally. They just decide they're not gonna return the child. 
uh, or they just decide that they're not going to send the child for access. Uh, usually that occurs on a Thursday or Friday night before a holiday of some sort. And it leaves everybody scrambling to try to put the pieces back together again. So, you know, my, I think that's a great tip. The more notice you can give, the better. Uh, if you do receive notice, respond to it, it, whether or not you agree with it and indicate why. And uh, I think that's going to be a good start. But let's, this, this, before we go into the bigger picture here, let's just drill down in terms of the holiday and Christmas access during the pandemic uh, and get some advice for parents. We've kind of covered this off, but I just want to do one more round because this is really the basis of our podcast today. So Jonathan, specific holiday advice or Christmas advice for parents during the pandemic? Yeah, just um, going with the theme that all three of you have talked about already, um, communicate with the other parent a lot. And remember, it's okay for the other parents uh, to ask you what you're doing to keep the kids safe from COVID. Right. Um, that is a valid question and you should answer it as fully as possible. And, um, you know, a lot of parents see that as prying or, you know, needling them, but it's, it's a completely valid request uh, for information. Uh, so make sure you answer those questions. In terms of the actual schedule, it might be helpful to um, uh, come up with a schedule that involves less transitions. Um, the more time they're bouncing back and forth between homes, the more chances they have of, of contracting the virus. Um, so maybe maybe choose a schedule that involves fewer transitions, longer periods of time at one home, um, and um, you know make sure that the kids are still having contact with their extended family, even if they can't physically see them. Make sure that they're having uh, virtual or physical distancing time with those extended family members, and that's what this season, regardless of what your religious or um, uh, other beliefs are, you know, this, the season is about getting together with your family and spending time with them. And it's really tragic that this COVID has put a damper on all that because, um, you know, everybody's losing out, um, when, when kids can't see grandparents or aunts or uncles or cousins. So make sure that, that you're still focusing on what this season really means. And it really means connecting with family. So do what you can, uh, to make that happen in a safe way. And that could have a real ripple effect, right? Once one of the traditions or somebody misses out, then that kind of ripples through the whole holiday season. Mm -hmm. But I think your point, Jonathan's great in terms of have a COVID parenting plan. Now this may be complicated and uh, overwhelming for a lot of parents. This is a good topic to discuss with your family doctor maybe your counselor. Uh, lawyers are equipped to put together COVID parenting plans that are consistent with the public health guidelines and the direction being provided by the courts. Uh, I recently had a client who was asking for his weekend access and mom's lawyer asked for the COVID parenting plan. And we put one together using a program called Divorce Made in some precedent language that we had in uh, various separation agreements and we tailored it to their very their specific community in terms of uh, what their rating was uh, and what was appropriate. So that's 
developing a COVID parenting plan is something that professionals such as we have here today can help you with um, and, and make it as detailed as possible so the other parent is satisfied the child's not going to be put at risk. But that was a great tip. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Can I just add to something you said there, Russ, because yeah. I think it's really important. Um, there is a site um, called representingyourselfcanada.com and they have uh, templates uh, for COVID specific clauses that you can put in your agreement. So if anybody has any questions, they can check that out. Let's add that to our show notes. This is going to be a, a lot of notes in this uh, podcast, but it's a fantastic resource. Thank you, Jonathan. The more information we can get to people, uh, the better chance they're going to have a, a great holiday season. Yeah. So um, Francesca, dealing with holiday access specifically during the pandemic in the next three, four weeks, um, what advice do you have for parents and families? Well, I think um, I really echo all the advice that we've shared and, and the tips we've shared. I think they're all very valuable. Another, another tip could be for parents to really share one with the other who you're going to see and what level of extension uh, of the bubble you will have during the holidays. Uh, because I think something we have to remember that they're not two bubbles, but the more people you include, the bigger the bubble uh, will become. And so this might even induce um, different behaviors in another parent if they know that their child is going to see, I don't know, maybe a grandparent or somebody that's more fragile. It might even imply that there has to be more caution on the other side. And I think this should be really when possible and if possible, um, an evaluation that parents should do together. I really like that tip about the how to evaluate your own risk. I will check and see if it's really just for Canada or if we can sort of import it. No, but I think not, that could it's be- not just for Canada, it's for everywhere. Yeah. yeah, I think that's great. And that could be a good tool for parents to understand if the plan is and we feel safe to see a grandparent, how, how does everybody have to behave before and after? And is that safe? Is it not what you can do? I think if, if the parents are able to share this uh, with some, some time in advance, I think that would be, would be great to really craft everybody's behavior and model it in a proper way. That's a really great tip, Francesca. I, I see this uh, expansion of the bubble as a real trigger. You know, this mm -hmm. is really where we're going to see a lot of conflict, uh, especially yeah. if it's involving a new partner of some sort, a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend, and they may have kids or family members that are going to come into the bubble. And it's these unknowns that will cause the other parent anxiety and possibly ask a judge to step in. You know, okay, well, you've got this new partner. I don't know who, who their kids are, what their family connections are. And you could just, you know, this idea of this bubble and what kind of risk you're going to expose the child to uh, will be potentially a real trigger for a lot of parents. You know, it's uh, poses uncertainty and possibly poses risk. And that's where, uh, unfortunately, we may say more litigation. I'm certainly not encouraging it. I'm encouraging everybody to resolve it. But I think that's a really great thing that you've identified. Allison, um, specific uh, advice for parents during the holidays and the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I echo basically um, 
all the sentiments and, and a lot of great um, tips and information that everyone's already shared. Um, I, I guess for me, you know, sort of piggybacking on what people have saying, you, you, it would be, it's helpful to establish a narrative. So a social narrative and a, uh, or a story, as some people like to refer to it, that um, both parents have the same language and the same understanding around that. Um, and that the child um, is able to have an understanding and clarification of what it's going to look like. So language is really important. Um, and if both parents can work together to get a story or a narrative that they're both going to um, utilize, it can be really helpful. Um, and again, um, balancing the um, social and the family connections and the traditions and all those things that are so important to many families at this time of year with the safe behaviors and my gaining the risk. Um, again, I love that tool that you uh, referred to, Jonathan. Um, I also have a tool that I will share. It's a, it's a COVID workbook um, that you can, um, parents can use and work through with their children and teens. It's, it's really more to navigate sort of the day-to-day -day feelings that come up rather than the larger picture, but that can be a really good resource tool as well. Is that online or is that an actual? It's, it's online and I will share, I will share that. All right, more for our show notes. I love the resources. Thank you, Allison. The, um, and just on that point, you know, I, during when we do a lot of collaborative work, we hear clients talk about what's reasonable and what's reasonable to the wife might not be what the husband finds reasonable and vice versa or if, um, or if they're same-sex relationship. Really what the lawyer's goal is and most professionals is to come up with a solution that's acceptable, right? Like what's gonna work for you or your family to get you through this holiday season? Uh, this is a holiday like any, no other that we've gone through in terms of stress levels and health concerns that are very real. So I think those are great tips. Uh, so the next several months, what do we, let's look into our crystal ball because <clears throat> there's a good chance we're going to have another podcast in eight months from now. It'll be part three. Uh, and uh, hopefully things will be sunny and warm in Italy and everybody will be health and, healthy and safe. But uh, several months down the road, what do you see coming ahead? Francesca, you want to start? Well, what, well, nobody knows what's, what's going to happen. And I think we all hope we're all going to be out of it as fast as we can, but probably it will take longer. What I can see happening is a lot of maybe changes, sort of opening up and then some kind of restriction and then reopening. And so I think we all have to look for some flexibility and help our clients be flexible in adapting their schedules, their parenting plans to different situation that might change and might move from time to time. We might have, like we had in Italy a month where schools were open and we had no question about that. Then some school closed and others weren't were still open. And, and then they were all shut down and they're opening again in January, whatever happens, that's what they're saying. So this means that parents have to develop a sort of an adaptive capacity to deal with different rules and uh, different situations and uh, before going back to what we thought was normal and what we hope will be normal again there's probably going to be a more or less long period of time where things are going to be uh, changing quickly and where we will need to be flexible and adaptive and 
seeking out for acceptable solutions for the families. So I think that's what we have to encourage clients to to have that open mind and think of the agreements that we reach as little steps, little agreements that are working now, but might need to be changed in a month's time. And that's okay. And that's normal. Okay, thank you. Allison, several months down the road, what do you see uh, or predict coming? Um, I agree. I don't have a crystal ball. <laughs> <laughs> None of us do, right? We're just oh, I know, right? So, sort of a direction we're all going. <laughs> I think um, from my perspective, people are just going to continue to have to, um, you know, remind themselves that um, they have the strength and the skills and the, and the ability to get through um, difficult situations and tap into what's been working for you um, and your family. And, and, you know, Francesca brought up a great uh, point that, you know, flexibility, adaptability, all of those um, will help your family to be able to move forward in a positive way and a little bit more easier because it is a fluid situation and, and sometimes the restrictions are less and sometimes they're higher. Um, and we all have to work with within that. Um, patience is a great, <laughs> is going to be a great thing for people to have over the next couple of months. Um, and one of the things that I think sometimes we don't talk enough about is self-compassion. Um, I think that's really important. It's a difficult time. Um, it's a time of uncertainty and, and we're all just doing our best um, and we'll continue to do our best as the months come forward. That's the new currency of the pandemic is patience for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, Jonathan, several months down the road, what do you uh, foresee coming? Uh, well, I anticipate a wave of people starting to reach out for counseling, physiotherapy, massage therapy, you know, all the kinds of therapies that people have been putting on hold um, during the pandemic. So I think uh, legal and uh, family support is going to be um, one of the top things on that list, too. So I think we're going to have a, a big wave of people looking to us to help. Uh, them out um, and help them through their separation or divorce or help them resolve uh, parenting problems that arise from COVID. So uh, we all have to be on our game and make sure that, that people have the resources that they need to, to get through those difficult times. And, you know, I think um, one of the things that we haven't talked about today is trying to find uh, a positive um, in, in all this negativity that we're experiencing, right? Um, so, so take what you can out of this uh, difficult situation and make the best of it. So one of the benefits for me is I get to work from home now and my partner's also working from home. So I get to see her every day, which has been wonderful. I've been able to spend more time with the kids because um, you know, for, for six months, basically they weren't in school at all. So I could see them constantly and we did a lot of fun things um, despite COVID happening, we went for lots of bike rides, lots of hikes. We went swimming in Lake Ontario. We went to visit different um, uh, parks that we've never tried before. So um, take, take what you can about this uh, negative experience and try to find the positives because there are positives. Uh, and, uh, and just um, try to make, make the best of a bad situation. I don't want to be a naysayer, but I don't think we're going to see much change in several months. We're probably going to be pretty much very similar to where we are now. I think, I don't know who it was, maybe Winston Churchill who said that uh, 
this is not the beginning of the end maybe, but the end of the beginning. The, as professionals, certainly, I think we need to manage our clients' expectations uh, in terms of next steps and what they can expect several months out. Um, in Ontario, our court system's gonna be uh, backlogged for several months, uh, processing uh, previous cases and existing cases. Credit to our judges and administrative officials at uh, Injustice. They're doing the very best that they can with the resources that they have. And I know a lot of judges are working very hard and late at night and weekends to try to deal with the backlog. Uh, in terms of a silver lining, I, I really like the efficiencies the pandemic has forced on or, or caused the professionals to adapt to. Um, technology especially. Uh, lots of families in the family court systems are paper-based and slow. A lot of the complaints we, we were receiving as professionals prior to the pandemic was it was slow and it was costly and it was inefficient. Now clients will phone our firm and they can get a same-day appointment where traditionally it might be two, three weeks down the road. With everybody remote, working remotely, um, a lot of clients can get an appointment that day or the next day electronically. I, I've worked with uh, Allison and Jonathan on several files. We can adapt quickly. We can meet as a team within days or even sometimes the same day where before it would be two, three weeks before our schedules would open up where we can accommodate clients. Uh, so I think that's the efficiency of the justice system has a real opportunity to improve as a result of the pandemic. And I hope a lot of those efficiencies continue. The idea of a remote court hearing was scary at first, but people love it. You know, you don't have to park, you don't have to travel, you don't have to sit in the hallway of a courthouse for three, four hours waiting for your case to be called. Uh, it starts when it's scheduled and it ends and then your four hour day is down 12 minutes. Uh, so that frees up time for us to help other clients. In terms of larger picture, uh, I think um, I'm really concerned about our major centers and whether people are going to want to continue to reside in large centers uh, going forward. We're seeing an exodus out of Toronto, people moving to the suburbs or up north. Um, and uh, I, I suspect they're going to like it. They're not going to want to go back. Maybe they will. So we're seeing sort of the role of the city change. We're at the very early stages right now. Um, but that could be a good thing as well, right? Uh, in terms of rethinking how we're gonna use our city space. So lots to think about. Um, final thoughts, I wanna thank everybody for uh, joining us today. I know taking an hour out of a professional's day is uh, a big ask, but I think this information is really gonna help a lot of people. Uh, but final thoughts or advice, Jonathan, you want to go first? Two things. First, imagine if this had happened in the 90s when internet wasn't really a thing. <laughs> like we're so lucky to have access to this kind of format to, to be able to work and, and see clients and uh, <clears throat> people. Thank goodness it didn't happen a few decades before. Um, so that's my first thought. The second thought is if if anyone is in uh, need of counseling or 
uh, family law support, don't hesitate. Reach out right away. All the services are out there. They're available. Um, we're ready to help you guys if, uh, if you're in crisis or if, you're, uh, if your relationship is, is deteriorating. And um, uh, I think a lot of people are holding back and waiting. I, I think it's, it's not the right thing to do. I think reach out and get help as soon as you can. Great tip. Uh, and just on that note, you know, you even reach out to one of us. We'll try to provide you uh, in the right direction, even if you're not in our jurisdiction. I know in Ontario, the lawyer referral service from, put on by the Law Society of Ontario has half hour free legal advice that they provide to members of the public. Um, so certainly there are lots of professionals available to help online um, and continue to help families. Great tip, Jonathan. Francesca, final thoughts and advice? Um, well, following on what we've just said, I think the holidays can, can be a really difficult time. And so if there are too difficult, if there is, if you're experienced violence or abuse, please look for professional help. There are a lot of uh, free numbers as well that I, I'm sure in Canada are very active as they are here in Italy that you can call and easily find help because I see that as, uh, as a risk as we go on. And um, as Jonathan was saying, there are a lot of people that are sort of holding back and waiting and uh, maybe just even seeking a space for a conversation if you're not ready to make the decision or take action, even just finding a, a space to talk about what you're experiencing um, can be helpful. So I think from a professional advice and any professional can sort of refer to the right one for you. So even if you call a lawyer, he will help you find the kind of support you need if it's not the legal support that you're looking for and, and that with everybody. So I think just remember that professionals are here to, to serve you really. So uh, look, look out for them. And that could be your family doctor, right? That yeah. could be your surgery or your priest. Uh, we're all in the same business of counseling and certainly your mm -hmm. family doctor can direct you to a family counselor or other professional. Um, so reach out to them, great tip. Allison, final advice and thoughts? Yeah, similar to this saying, um, you know, it, it's okay to not be okay. Um, and, and if you need some answers or some support, um, please reach out. There's so many resources out there and people there that are willing to help. Um, and my other tip would be to remind your children um, that this situation and the feelings they're feeling is not going to last forever. Um, and in fact, can sometimes make him or her um, and your whole family stronger. This too shall pass. Yes, mm -hmm. great point. Well, I want to thank uh, Francesca, Allison, and Jonathan for joining us for this podcast. I think this is uh, probably been one of the best ones we've done in terms of useful information for our clients and parents. And we're going to have all the uh, links put into our show notes. Uh, so you'll see that online. I want to thank everybody for watching and listening today to our podcast and watching us on YouTube. You can share this uh, podcast or this video with your friends. You can hit the bell to subscribe to upcoming podcasts and YouTube videos that we will be producing in the future. Uh, you can like or comment. You can put your comments in the comment box below. I'll endeavor to answer everybody's questions at the end of the, each week. 
and all the hard questions I'll send to uh, the other guests and I'll answer the easy ones. But thank you so much, guys. This has been a fantastic uh, session and lots of great information for our clients. I wish you a healthy, happy and peaceful holiday season. Yes. Thank you all.